Welcome to the first 2024 episode of First Principles. Though we're only 15 months old, we're also technically into our third calendar year after our first episode in August 2022. So, a happy new year to all of you. And here's to many many more years of wonderful conversations and learning and growing. My guest today is Viren Shetty, the executive vice chairman of Narayana Health, the publicly listed healthcare group that operates over two dozen hospitals across India. And refreshingly, Viren thinks about healthcare as an assembly line, and there are many many steps in this line. Many of these are very small; they seem unimportant, even forgettable, like scheduling an annual healthcare checkup or filling out a feedback form at your clinic or just waiting in line for your doctor's appointment. So when I asked Virain about how healthcare in India can be fixed, he pointed to this assembly line. Basically, what if you tweaked every small step of this line a little bit, small, unnoticeable changes at every step? He's confident that the result will be a smooth, well-oiled machine that takes care of your health end to end. This is what Virain says Narayana Health is trying to do. It reminded me of Apple actually. Take existing technologies, make improvements while putting the user at the center of the experience. Let me give you some context. Narayana Health is a name I'm sure you've heard, especially if you are from Bangalore. It was founded in 2000 by Dr. Devi Shetty and went public in 2016, valued at over one billion dollars. But what we know as Narayana Health today began as Narayana Hrudalaya, a super speciality hospital. With a laser-sharp focus on cardiac health, 20 years on, it's changed a lot. In addition to its numerous hospitals across India, Narayana Health is also venturing into its own health insurance policies, partnering with clinics and pharmacies, and building an ambitious bundled subscription plan for its customers. This episode is a first in more ways than one. It's not just our first episode of 2024. It's also the first episode with a guest from the healthcare sector, and it's the first episode which may sound a little different to you. For this episode, the first part of our conversation with Virin, we dive headfirst into the healthcare landscape in India. I ask about health in India at large. Why are health checkups such a hassle? Is the answer to better healthcare in hardware or software? What are the health tech startups doing right? And then there is the unshakable mistrust that the Indian population holds against hospitals and doctors, largely. Can this even be solved? Patiently and confidently, Virin answers every one of my questions. He talks about building sticky habits in customers, changing the messaging in healthcare, and why becoming worse as an insurance company is the key. possibly to becoming better as a healthcare company in this episode we truly get down to the first principles of healthcare in india it's a masterclass really i hope you enjoy the conversation as much as i did let's begin Brian let's just start with what you were reminding me uh, mm. just now uh, what was it 2019 yeah and uh, we were having a conversation about about cars about many about, things about many things in life about you know business journalism and I said hey I, I listen to a lot of podcasts have you guys ever thought about it and I seem to recall you tell me you know No, the Ken is this very unique once one story a day. It's something that's heavily researched. You know, we're going to stick with the medium that we know. We continue to be that. We, we also, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And then I remember showing you all the podcasts I was listening to at the time. I said, "You guys should totally do this. It's it's going to be amazing." And uh, you didn't seem that enthusiastic about the time, but I'm so glad. Uh, You know, here we are sitting down, and yeah, I'm glad as well. Different time, different place. Thank you for reminding me. I'd honestly forgotten about that, mm. and uh, my apologies. Like, uh, it's 
it's it's often it, it happens that sometimes people who are not part of your company or sector are able to see a trend more clearly than you are inside um maybe it's that maybe it was the fact that you know sometimes organizations take their own time to get to a place where you need to be confident that you'll be able to execute on an idea that someone else had given as well so thank you um i'm glad that uh, we started podcasts um i'm having fun doing them and the circle is now yeah. closed because we're having this conversation yeah so thank welcome uh, to first principles uh, virain glad to have you here thank you glad to be here so i'm really looking forward to today's conversation because we've spoken many times about what ails healthcare and how to improve healthcare and i think you're one of the few healthcare executives that i've spoken with who so passionate about the healthcare experience and who who feels rightly uh, that unless you fix the healthcare experience we're always just going to be like you know uh, potentially playing with a fragment of uh, the overall market or needs that a consumer may have we'll get into that uh, your vice chairman of narayana health that's correct right yep first question what is narayana health today i know it's a, you guys are a listed organization you listed in 2016 uh but when you started and of course those of us who are in bangalore know narayana health very closely because uh the very first hospital narayana hridaya is is kind of you know part of bangalore lore but what is narayana health today as an organization compared to what it started so the organization was started by my dad with just one heart hospital in bangalore one in calcutta just doing cardiac and it had to evolve into many different avatars over the years to respond to what he perceived very rightly back then that there is this massive demand for healthcare not enough places where you can get it and this huge trust deficit um there was a point at which you could have said that our business is the business of providing surgeries at the lowest possible price to whoever needed a surgery but the problem with that is one you are constraining yourself to a very narrow segment of the market not surgeries as a percentage of total healthcare spend but people who know that they need surgeries which is very very small and you don't get to call yourself a healthcare company if you're dealing with people who know they have a problem who are literally at death's door clutching their heart coming to you and saying oh doc do something for me right now because i need that and so we realize if we are a healthcare company we need to deal with people's health and people's health is many years before the heart attack many years before the cancer nodule many years before any metabolic issue that you have um the what we want to become we're not there yet the thing that we want to become known as is a integrated healthcare company now what does that mean that means that if you think health you have to think about us right now if only think of death is when you think of a hospital that's it like at the point of death or relatively close to it is when you think of a hospital but by then it's too late it is very expensive it is very complicated it's very difficult the recovery period is insane and nobody's happy with that experience nobody saves up and looks forward to spending lakhs of rupees in a hospital it's not something that is analogous to you know i save up and buy a car or your apartment or an iphone it's not a pleasurable experience it's not something you plan for and so as much as we say we're going to make ourselves this place where you get surgeries done at the lowest price you take something that cost 4 lakh rupees you make it 2 lakh rupees it's still 2 lakh rupees the person is not happy to spend you you can make it 200 rupees they will still not be happy about it and also they've managed to only avoid something not gain something so by getting a surgery you're probably avoiding further complications or avoiding deaths or something else so therefore that that's not 
pleasurable right like you know i mean to your to your point earlier pleasure is something when i gain something back which is more meaningful to me yeah and it does i mean to be fair surgery does give you years back to your life and so on but you're irrevocably altered from that state of your body you, you are never quite the same you have some condition you have some scarring so it's not a happy experience but prevention you know say ounce of prevention pound of cure uh the ability to live your best life to be your best self to be able to do the things that prevent these occurrences down the road that's something we want to democratize the uh, ability of people to do that much more preemptively rather than something that is forced in an annual corporate healthcare checkup or you know these things that the insurance companies make you do where you need just before you sign up you need to do a physical or something that's driven by a huge amount of societal pressure saying no you've turned 40 you have to get the scan you have to get this checkup done no it has to be pleasurable it has to be something that you look forward to and it has to be something that you uh turn into a pleasurable activity the state of your health it should be a source of great joy for you to know your biological age versus knowing your actual age it should be something that people should be proud about uh there is this tech entrepreneur in the us right now whose name i can't immediately recall who has committed millions of dollars to the idea that he's going to extend his life to you know be his best self till he's 100 and he gets all kinds of tests done he takes a ton of supplements he measures every single gram of food that he eats and maybe that's an extreme but there is a version of that that is a lot simpler that most people do and that can be turned into something that is sold as a service to people who want to live long and so for us where we are today as a company is moving towards a place where people come to us well before they're sick well before they need the surgery where we say look i will take care of your health for you i will make sure that you live to a ripe old age without any major issues and should that major issue happen we're obviously going to take care of it so we want to flip the equation to one where we're there only when you really need us to one when we're there all the time along with when you really need us hmm. multiple thoughts came to my mind while you were speaking very interesting uh, points that you made the first thing that you said and I, and i kind of agree with you is that if you look at let's say for instance health checkups right two of the examples that you gave corporate health checkups or insurance provided health checkups what's common to both of them for me is the fact that you're not paying for the health checkup and therefore it's something that most of us don't like doing so it's like hey i'll do it if my company is paying for it or i'll do it if my insurers are the asking me to do it or paying for it and i think that strikes at the heart of the problem that you mentioned right like you know if you don't want to pay for something it's never going to be something that you look forward to so it's in many ways it's like a chicken and egg right are you talking about designing a healthcare slash wellness experience that people will look forward to spending money on their own money as well right because that's the gold standard if i if i look forward to something if i desire something why would i not want to spend you know a decent bit of money and i'm sure it's not like you you use the example like a car or home and iphone a health checkup will be a fraction uh, of any of these and yet we don't do it yeah we honestly don't have the answer to that what the situation we've described where people proactively come to us and say this is a thing that i'm happy to spend uh you know a few thousands of rupees on versus then lakhs of rupees at some point in the future that doesn't exist today so we're trying to work within the uh, constraints of what already exists people buying insurance exists people going for annual health checkups exist people going to a hospital exist people consulting with a doctor online exists and people delivering medicines online also exist now it's up to us to take all these things which today are provided by a different set of people each with their own incentives to maximize their own individual portion of the pie and turn it into one fully integrated offering and so our idea is not to be the best or the largest insurance company not to be the largest medicine delivery company not to be the best online health uh, advice giving company but to combine all of that into one offering that is able to look at the patient as the center and take that as the core and then use that to offer all the services that they require before 
they've asked for requiring it. So a person who we know is in their 50s, has a family history of heart disease, has, you know, aging parents, there are a certain list of services and certain list of medicines we know they require. And all of that we would bundle and provide for them in the way that would, you know, most suit their needs, combined with some insurance because they, we know they have to pay for that anyway, so they might as well get it from us. And so the idea is that we start from this point where we take elements of what already exists, combine it into an integrated offering, and iterate on it and build it so that eventually we get to a point where people are able to come proactively even without us saying that it's actually insurance combined with medicine, combined with doctor services, combined with hospital, and say that, look, this is a thing that will lead me to a better outcome for my family, and so I will just pay for the whole thing at once. Um, are you a fan of Apple? Huge fan. Okay. So the reason I ask you is because while you were speaking about we're not going to be the best at A, B, C, D, E, but when you combine it and you put the user at the center of it, we want to be the best at that. In many ways, it takes me back to the launch of the iPhone where before the iPhone came, no one could say, you know, the iPhone invented the capacitive touch screen. No one could say the iPhone invented having a, you know, type um, a keyboard on the screen or that the iPhone invented even apps for that matter. But what the iPhone did was it integrated all of them into the same device and made the user and the user experience the central forcing function. And of course, today, it's not just enough that Apple derives a significant percentage of its revenue from services and from subscriptions. Um, I pay a monthly subscription to Apple for the Apple One family subscription as well. So pardon me for this. I'm also a huge fan of analogies, but it looks to me that you're trying to build an iPhone equivalent in the healthcare space, which effectively becomes a subscription play as well. Is that far off the mark um, from what you're trying to do? Is my analogy broadly in the park? It's a really flattering comparison. Anyone who can compare us to Apple and to say that we can achieve even a bit of what they've done, that's... <laughs> That is a gold standard for any company to achieve. But uh, we're directionally right in the sense that there are a complementary set of services that hospitals all provide, which today happen as a set of very discrete purchases. Someone comes, buys medicines, goes home. Someone comes, gets a checkup, goes home. Someone comes, sees a doctor, goes home. Someone comes, gets a surgery, stays for a bit, then goes home. And one is not connected to the other. You may go to very different providers for all of those. You mean the doctor you see may be near your house. The pharmacy you go to may be somewhere down the road. The hospital you go to may be very far from where you are. None of their systems talk to one another. None of these events are correlated in the sense that it's only coordinated at the time when you get there. So the doctor goes through your history and is able to see, okay, these are the things you're taking. And so I will keep that in mind. So we want to turn healthcare from a series of very discrete uh, events to one that's operating in a fully coordinated fashion. And that's not easy. It's not currently how people think about how healthcare should work. And there's always a problem when companies try to go a little too far ahead of where their customers are, where the current mindset is, what they're used to purchasing. And so you don't want to live in the year 2100 when we're still in 2023. And so for us, it will be take enough elements of what people are comfortable with while slowly nudging them in the direction of this future where we want. So right now, we're applying for a health insurance license. Health insurance is something that is a good, uh, it's a gateway to people getting into a... Have you got it? Because I, sorry to interrupt you, but I thought I read a news article a couple of days ago, maybe last week, about like, you know, Narana Health's health insurance license having come through or, or was it something else? It, it's nearly there. So all right. with all things in the all regulated right. space, there are many stages. Yeah. There's round one, round two, round three. So we're through a few of those rounds, a couple more rounds left. All right, please continue. So so you're yeah. saying part one was your health insurance play. So effectively, I could, as a consumer, buy a health insurance policy from Narayana Health as well. Yes. At some point. And at some point next year. And bundled with that would be the set of all these services that are layered on top. And so since I already have, let's say, your credit card or your payment details on file, and then we already have that relationship with you, and we have a reason to call you and say, please get this test done, please get this scan done, please see this doctor, 
then we will say, see, now we've identified you belong to this certain risk cohort, which would imply that you may be on this certain medication or you could benefit from this much counseling and testing. So with these little add-on packs you would take to that, it's your option completely because people so still... So is this a subscription-based uh, offering? That would be the idea. The idea is that you have the insurance and we have subscription offerings bundled on top of it, which will combine all these services together. And what's the synergy between so because you're doing this do you also feel that you're going to be more competitive on the insurance side because you have better visibility into your consumers health as well while we would hope to be the initial couple of years in that would probably not because the best insurance companies write as many policies as possible and then try and either not or just cross your fingers and pray and hope that their customers don't end up showing, you know, come, showing up in a hospital for claims. Or if they do, find a way to deny as much of those claims as possible. I'm not having any particular, uh, you know, I'm not throwing any particular shade at one company and the other. This is a universal practice for standalone uh, health insurance companies throughout the world. But ours, by design, will be worse as a health insurance company because we are taking that much more visibility and that much more effort into understanding a person's true health and their medical history, which means we will actually be making them do a lot more healthcare than would otherwise be the case if you have this policy, but you're not really claiming it. Because in the end, we want people to be healthier. We want people to develop a sticky habit. And our hope is that if we can keep these people healthy, over their lifetime, in the long enough run uh, time frame, then they'll be able to, at least we can recover how much is spent. What will it take for any organization to succeed in such an ambitious play? Not just you, but anyone else. Because, and, and the subtext there is, now I speak again as a consumer, is I think the lack of trust um, and incentives as not just consumers or patients in India, but all around the world, we've got decades of uh, history of hospitals, uh, doctors. Again, I'm not throwing shade at any one particular hospital or doctor, but of wrong incentives, wrong prescriptions, uh, over-medication, over-prescription uh, of um, interventions, etc. So there is... One of the reasons why, possibly, why consumers don't trust hospitals with their wellness is because we've always got this thing that, oh, they're just going to, like, I went in, like, you know, the most common thing you ask anyone is, I went in for X and they got me to do, you know, A, B and C as well, uh, right? Now, it doesn't matter whether the hospital or the doctor was right in prescribing it. It only matters that the patients think that, you know, they were just gypped every time they went to a hospital. So that breakdown of trust and incentives where you or any other hospital has an incentive to um, prescribe more tests, has an incentive uh, to intervene because that's where the money lies, at some level must change, right? Because only then will consumers start trusting you saying that, oh, you're not just recommending these because you want to make more money from me but because you genuinely want me to stay healthy over the long run what would it take for that to happen see but going back to what you said earlier about the incentive driving the behavior and that's true i mean that's true of any industry a healthcare model built on fee for service where the more you do the more you get paid for would sometimes lead to that abuse. But let me go beyond that. See, the truth is that every doctor has a long, long career. No one wants to be known as someone that has unnecessary procedures because that reputation will catch up to you. So by and large, you can trust that your doctor is not driven entirely by a profit motivation. They're driven by your good outcomes because you have a good outcome, you have a good health, you go out, you will tell 10 people about what a great experience you had and that's further business. And word of mouth is the most common way exactly. doctors acquire more customers. But it still won't shake away the impression that any customer will have going to a hospital. Let me put it this way. Let's say someone comes in 
they have some amount of blockage in their arteries. So a very old school traditional doctor will say, oh, you'll be fine. Diet, medicine, exercise, you'll be fine. You, you're implying that they will not want to intervene and put a stent immediately. They, they will not you... want to put a stent at all. An older doctor will say, look, I've seen so many cases like this. Uh, you can manage it with diet and exercise. You'll be fine. And doc, that doctor will be right. There may be someone who may be a little in the middle or let's say, yeah, in the middle end of his uh, career. They will look and say, okay, I've seen people like you day in and day out. You're not going to diet. You're not going to be adherent to your medication. You're 100% not going to exercise. Your lifestyle is going to be as poor as it was. That's causing these arteries to be blocked. So stent, right? And that doctor will also be right. Interestingly, that doctor is more aware of the the psyche of the uh, patient. Yeah. All right. And another doctor who may be a little more young, a little more aggressive, could be a surgeon. He will look at it and say, look, I don't trust you with the stent either. Because even with the stent, you're going to need to be on certain kinds of you know medication and blood thinners and so on. I know you're not going to do that because I've seen people like you day in and day out. I'm going to propose heart surgery, the most expensive of the lot, but the one that provides the longest term fix. And that person will also be right. The truth is you don't know because everyone is treating this episodically. Like I see you once, I'm not going to see you again. Or if I see you again, it may be only a couple of years from then. I don't, I'm not that involved in your life. I'm not that involved in your stress levels. I'm not that involved in your mental makeup or I'm not, you know, going through your diet chart as a surgeon or a cardiologist. You just don't have the time to get into all of that. And so for us, the hope is that the incentives hmm. get... So, sorry, I, I'm going to interrupt you here because again, you bring up something very important, which is the point that you make is it's, it's episodic. So in the sense that you go to these three, let's say it's the same person going to three different doctors. Because what usually happens is when with something like this, people tend to get different opinions. Right. And I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for doctors as well when people are second guessing them, but it happens. So they go to three different doctors. Now, like you said, each of the doctors has no incentive or has no visibility into the longer term patterns of that patient. Right. Similarly, the patient also has no longer term uh, exposure or trust or relationship with either of these three doctors. So it is episodic on both sides. Yep. It's transactional on both sides. And what you're trying to solve for through this, I think, integrated subscription play is that let's not make it episodic. Let's make sure that you keep coming back and there is a history of uh, checkups, of consultations, of prescriptions of diet advice where we can look back and say hey here's two years three years worth of this thing this is what we know basis this this is what we recommend that's what you're trying to do change it from episodic on both sides to relationship driven and on top of that tie our own hands as well because as the provider and the insurance entity we get paid the same amount whether it is the surgery or the stent, or the medicine. And so in the end, we're more. what are we most incentivized by? Having the patient live as long as possible. Have the person live their best life and have as good an experience so they keep coming back to us to say, look, I trust you for this one year for taking care of my health. You did a damn good job. I'm going to keep paying you and you keep taking care of my health. And so that uh, aligns us over much longer periods of time. And so it forces us into doing things that are ultimately for the long-term benefit of these patients. And hmm. this model is not new. The, yeah, the fact I mean, is these things exist in most parts of the world. So if you take the UK, the NHS sort of operates like that, where it's there is no financial transaction, there is no episodic nature. You have GPs and the GPs are the ones who are responsible for referring you to specialists should the need arise. But more often than not, they can take care of it at their level. I was going to come to the, because a lot of what you said about having an ongoing relationship with a healthcare provider used to be with the GPs. And where like, you know, I mean, at least growing up, me, uh, we used to go to the same doctor for virtually all illnesses. And then at some point, you know, if something else happens, the doctor would refer us. 
Now, as we all know, I think by and large, at least in urban India, the concept of GPs where you go on a regular basis has gone. It has been disrupted and replaced by either clinic chains or by hospitals. So what you're also saying is that the it's no longer possible to have that ongoing relationship with one GP, but it's going to be with a with a hospital group or a healthcare group. Now, when you want to do that, the things that you're trying to do, others also have access to it, right? You're applying for a health insurance um, license. I'm sure others are or might. You have lots of hospitals. You have lots of doctors. There are other groups as big or even larger. Uh, what is it that will differentiate Narayana Health or the group which is successful at it versus the others? Because it's not going to be access to capital access to any of these individual items because you know anyone could get this so what will differentiate the successful from the ones who aren't that's a good question see our business the services based industry it doesn't have a lot of modes like anyone could take the elements of what we have and put it together and you could basically recreate the same thing uh, it'll take a lot of time it will take a lot of money and so every other major hospital group has run insurance companies in the past. But I think the thing that we're doing different that hasn't been done before is to run it under one common entity. And so it is the same company, that's NH, that owns the insurance company, that runs the clinics, that runs the pharmacies, that will get into the insurance, that will run the online portal. And so the hope is that at least with a common enough set of owners, there is an incentive for at least one uh, small group of very motivated individuals to make sure that the constituent portions of this, you know, this uh, uh, melange of different providers are working with a common directive. Because there is every incentive in the end for someone who's selling the insurance to sell as many policies as possible. So let's say we're starting out just in Bangalore City. We won't even be able to start out in all of Bangalore city. We are in the southern part of Bangalore. So the first set of policies will have to be sold in South Bangalore. But let's say an overzealous insurance salesman says, you know, there's a lot of demand in North Bangalore as well. A lot of uh, people are staying there. But we would not be able to service them, to which the insurance companies say, great, because then there are no claims will come. But we say, no, I mean, we want people to be happy. We want people to be using the services. What's most important is stickiness. If someone pays for something and doesn't use it, they're guaranteed, well, two things are guaranteed to happen. One is they're not going to resubscribe again. The second thing is they're going to say, this is a complete waste of my time and money. And that is something that can kill a business over a long enough time frame. So I'd say that what we would bring, uh, what I won't say that what makes us special, but at least what we will try to bring in is a sense of keeping enough trust in customers and trust in our patients to say that, this is something they see a lot of value in and it's something that uh, I keep using and there's a stickiness built into it. And so I will keep coming again and again and again. And if we have to lose money in doing it, we will continue to do so. But over the long enough time frame, this is something that should ultimately make sense. I want to talk about health checkups as well. We've spoken about it in the past and we started the conversation today with that. And it's something that is not a pleasurable experience. Uh, why is that so? And how can it be changed? And I'll explain the context, right? The yeah. context of most health checkups is, and the reason why people don't do it is either because it's expensive, right? It costs 5,000, 10,000 rupees. The older you get, the more expensive it gets. Or I mean, and then here's the interesting part, right? As you get older, you can afford to spend that more money on a health checkup. What you can't probably afford to spend is that half day or maybe like, you know, better part of a day that you'll spend shuffling around from one desk to the other in a hospital where you're not exactly the most important customer for that hospital that day, right? Patients are. You're not a patient. You're just a person getting some check done, now you go to and sit there and etc. So it's an experience which is completely broken. How are you looking at the health check? By the way, there's an ex exception. There are, we've spoken about that. There is this um, organization in, in Bangalore called Noora.ai, 
which has tried to solve it on, by redesigning the experience where you're in and out in a couple of hours. But I think it's it's far too small and niche um, and expensive uh, for it to disrupt the wider market. How are you thinking about it, especially given your integrated play? The entire checkup experience that includes the cardiac scan, that includes the blood test, that includes the evaluation, can be done in an hour. It, it can be done in less than an hour, but let's take an hour. Just in and out, you walk in, an hour later, you're out, and everything is done uh, online, and it's, you know, the, you pay later, the reports are given to you on email. It can be done in an hour. But why it is not done is because it is integrated too much into the day-to-day -day running of a hospital. Now, the equipment that you need is extraordinarily expensive. The thing most people don't appreciate is that when you're getting the highest standards of care in India, the machines we buy are nothing less than what you get in Europe or the US. It is the same machine. It doesn't cost any less for an MRI or a CT scan to be sold in India than it does in the US. Just out of curiosity and in a ballpark, uh, um, a top of the end or like a latest MRI machine costs in what ballpark? I mean, the absolute highest end, you're looking anywhere from 15 to 20 crores, but generally from 8 to 12 uh, crores. So it's like a million these, to $2 million. $2 million dollars. Uh, for all of these. And you're paying dollars. I mean, there's no special rupee. You're paying in dollars for all of this. It's the same price. And thus your point being that when you buy such an expensive asset, it is constantly, every minute of its utilization goes and counts. Because the machine lasts for, maybe if you really take really good care of it, 15 years, but in under Indian conditions with not just the climate, humidity and the pollution and so on, but the fact that we really use these machines, we're utilizing them well beyond the kind of volumes that they're used to dealing with. It will last for maybe half that. And also there is a lot of obsolescence built into this because the technology is constantly evolving. You know, just like you have your iPhone 14 and 15s, you have different, you know, there's different gradations for how thin a CT slice can be. The MRI will have different uh, ability to penetrate different sorts of tissue. There are a lot of software upgrades. So even five, six years, you're going to want the next machine. And so in a very short period of time, you need to process mad volume through these machines. And so what that means is you only get that in a hospital. Now, the bet we are making is that by building these dedicated screening centers in strategic parts throughout Bangalore, and by promising that one, the price will be very affordable and it can be done in one hour, we will be able to get enough volume, almost like a drive-through, you know, pick up something and go experience. And that's the theory. That's something we'll spend a fair bit of money in trying to get done. But it will it will address the uh, irritation of getting health checkup done. It will not address the core issue that lies behind every single person's hesitation for getting the checkup done, which is something fundamental to human psychology. That if there's something bad, I I'd just, rather not know it. I don't want to know about it. I, I just don't. You know, my grandparents died in their sixties. My Parents had a heart attack whenever they did. Statistically, I'm as likely to suffer from the same conditions that they did. But if you don't tell me, I don't need to think about it. If I don't need to think about it, I'll deal with it when it happens. And the diet and lifestyle being the way it is, it's something that is always lurking at the back of everyone's mind. We're hoping to change that by turning this into something that is proactive, that makes it less threatening. The problem with a lot of the healthcare messaging and the way in which, you know, the ads that you see in the paper about, you know, this surgery or that robot or this medicine, it's all fear-based. It's built around, you know, I can scan you in 20 seconds and I can detect heart blockages, but all of them have the subtle connotation of death behind it. It's not something that's designed to be more friendly, more proactive or something that, what are the positive attributes of knowing what your health outcomes are? Something that are. you look forward to. People look forward to running a 5K or a 10K. People look forward to, in their 60s, being able to lift up their grandchildren without their back giving up. What do you look forward to? You look forward to being able to get up from a chair unassisted in your 70s. 
there is so much in life that people need to look forward to that good health can provide you. And so a lot of the messaging that we would build around this is oriented around that. Not so much on how fancy our scanners are or how good our medicines are or how quickly the doctor will see you. But there's a positivity around life and health and that's something that we're hoping can uh, help people go past the initial objection they have about just not wanting to know about the state of their heart or their bones. To go back to Narayana Health um, and where we started the conversation, what does the group look like today in terms of its operations? How many, what is its spread across India in terms of either hospitals or clinics? We're in 21 locations across the country and one hospital in the Cayman Islands. We have all sorts of formats. We have huge hospitals in Bangalore and Calcutta, Delhi and Bombay. We have smaller mid-sized hospitals again in Bangalore. We have clinics in all our locations. We have pharmacies. Um, but the format that we are eventually going to evolve to are a unit that runs these very large health city campuses in all the big cities of India, combined with much smaller format daycare surgery focused hospitals that you can quickly come in, get a surgery done, stay for a short period of time and go out, supplemented by a huge number of these clinics, diagnostic centers all across the city. And so we don't want to be more than 20 minutes from any single person in a city where we want to have an active presence in. All of that would be supplemented by this massive coordination layer, which is a combination of a call center, this uh, CRM tool, which... Uh, We've modified to call it the patient relationship manager with apps and a massive software layer that keeps track. You had mentioned earlier about, you know, the GP being the repository of your family's medical history. It, it was impractical because no one person can keep track of so much. But for us, we would build a system around that. And so that's the thing we're spending a huge amount of time and effort on, on building the software layer of the entire hospital operating system, which is the ability for us to track every single patient in real time when they're in the hospital and out of the hospital and be able to give them those helpful nudges and reminders that it's time for your checkup or it's time to get this test done or, you know, you may be out of this medicine and this is something we want to give to you. What you've just said is something that I fully agree is lacking in the overall healthcare space, which is great software and great user experiences. It is also what I would expect let's say a startup in the, like if a startup were to try and enter the healthcare space um, with the desire or the intent to quote unquote disrupt it, they would, they would not try to disrupt it by setting up hospitals and hiring doctors. They would try to disrupt it using the software layer and the user experience layer. For various reasons, it's also where hospitals are bad at traditionally, right? Like, you know, forget software. And again, I'm not being specific to Narayan or any other one in particular, but most hospitals suck at the software experience. I mean, so much so that even the digital board outside, like, you know, a doctor's uh, room, which is supposed to show who's the next patient who's supposed to go in or who's currently inside is often kind of like, you know, out of service, etc. What does it take? I mean, from what you were saying, you're trying to build um, a software layer, an OS on top of all of this. How, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this is not, this knowledge, this know-how does not exist in the overall hospital domain in India. How are you even doing it? How are you building it? See, in the end, necessity being the mother of all invention, we're doing it because we had to do it. And now, you brought up the startups and how from a, if you start from a first principles basis and you say, this is how a system should run, logically, you would start with the software first. You would make a very good booking and a management system. You'd make a very good EMR and then you would hire the doctors. Sorry, what's an EMR? EMR is electronic medical record. Ah, so that's it. just a... Yeah, a repository just, of all your... All your medical history and can track all of that. You'd start with that and then you'd get doctors on board. But... That's just not the natural evolution of things. For us, we reached a point where the volume of the work we were doing became too much that we were not able to manage with humans and paper and Excel files and emails. 
and so, so on. So you're solving for efficiency. Exactly. And in India, that's pretty much the only thing you can solve for because every other cost bucket is out of your control. There was a point where we could, you know, negotiate a little bit on the price of medicine or we could try and beg and plead with the companies who are supplying us with things and say, please, you know, we're dealing with poor people here, please give us a discount. But beyond a point, there is a diminishing uh, returns aspect to it. And so we want to pay people really well. We want to get the best medicines. We want to get the best infrastructure. So what I pay for a brick is pretty much what everyone else pays for a brick. And what I pay for paracetamol is what everyone else pays for paracetamol. The only thing that's left is being able to be more efficient, uh, reduce the number of manual transactions, and process more people through our system to lower cost for our customers. And the only thing that's left for us is efficiencies. And the only way you bring those efficiencies is by putting in automation, which is software. So we were brought into this through the natural evolution of our business. The bigger we grew, the less able we were to have an army of managers and receptionists and assistants to run around and do all these things because people started to forget and things started to break down. And so we were initially reliant on a lot of third-party software developers to do that for us, but then we grew too big for their ability to handle us. And the largest software providers in the enterprise healthcare space simply weren't interested in building something so specialized for the way we operate because you build something so finely tuned for how an Indian hospital operates, you can't sell it anywhere else. And so we were left with literally no choice other than to build our own hospital operating system. So we got a team together. We're fortunate to be in Bangalore where there are a huge number of engineers and very talented developers who are interested enough in this space. And we said, look, this is the playground. This is the environment we're going to give you. This is how much volume we can do. We want the best of everything. And so we got a good team. We built the best software that we were able to get for us. And it turned out that when you combine that creativity and the freedom for them to operate in a system that gives them the latitude and immediate feedback from the doctors, from the patients, you end up building the best software. And so that's where we are right now. Now, no, just, I mean, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again because that's very important because most of the times um, what I've seen is, you know, and, you know, having dealt with doctors as a patient, etc. the frustration that comes from, oh, they've just installed this new software and like, you know, I mean, and they'll be doing something and saying like, this is so stupid, I can't do it. But the loop the feedback from the doctor to the software maker is broken because typically the software is bought, mildly customized, installed, tested, etc. And at some point that relationship stops. The software maker is left and now doctors have feedback, but there's no one left to fix that feedback because it's a different company. You're saying having the developers in the same organization as the doctors just creates a tighter feedback loop because you can iterate your product much faster. To the to which the question would be at some point, have you considered like, you know, is what you're building possibly something that can be spun out and offered to other organizations as well? Because if this need exists in India and you had it, I'm sure it exists for various other organizations um, as well. It exists for every every hospital out there. It exists for every hospital throughout the world. The problem is uh, it's not easy to do. Such a thing does not exist right now. Our systems are inherently more conservative. Our volumes are simply not sufficient in which it made sense for us to do it. But since our business model from day one was always predicated on using the existing infrastructure to its absolute breaking limit, that we were always a little bit ahead in terms of finding out ways in which things could be done more efficiently. So you cannot imagine a modern airline company without a software backend. You cannot imagine even a modern restaurant company without some sort of software backend so that they're able to you know, deal with the delivery people and so on. A hospital is no different. And this is core to our business. This is, this is not something that anyone else is going to come and say, look, you have this set of problems. I have the perfect set of solution that are fixed for you. For certain solutions, yes. For payment, it's a solved thing. We can get any number of plugins on payment. If it is about filing insurance claim, there are any number of solutions you can get for that. If it's for, let's say, just radiology imaging, the people who can do that. But no one is tying all of that together, which is payment for the image, for the appointment, 
for the doctor showing up at that certain time with the AI-enabled interpretation along with that. Right? To wrap all of those things up into one offering, it's something that hospitals throughout the world are realizing that this is a need for them. And we're so lucky to be living through this age where now a lot of these tools are so freely available, where every organization is essentially becoming not just their own software developer, they're even getting into AI development because the tools are relatively low code. So it behooves any modern corporation to say that, look, there's nothing that's distinct in terms of developing software for our process. This is our process. And so we can simplify it by using what's out there. What this looks to me is that the organizations, the healthcare organizations, what it takes to succeed is no longer having hospitals and doctors. Yes, that's a necessary but not sufficient condition. You must have hospitals, you must have doctors, etc. But if you're trying to do an integrated play, if you're trying to do a longer term relationship play, if you're trying to connect the pieces together, the focus shifts from hardware to software. Hardware being hospitals, MRI machines, uh, clinics, land, software being, of course, the patient experience, the software that connects all of this together. So I'll go back to a question I had asked earlier. What does it take to succeed in this ambitious play? Would it be fair to say that software chops and the ability to imagine, architect, build, iterate, great software experiences is one of the key factors? I mean, that's the, not a key factor. It's it's more of the raw ingredients, what you would need to do that. I think in the end, the organization needs to be built around singular purpose and vision. And you look at what are the means by which you achieve that vision. And so we, our goal is to make people healthy, to make healthcare affordable and accessible to large numbers of people. And the way in which we want to achieve that is through building an, a system integrated with software that deals with the entire life cycle. There are other organizations that you'll read about in the business press who will achieve that through deploying huge amounts of private equity capital and acquiring a large number of hospital beds or buying up a large number of uh, you know business practices and combining them and merging them together. That is still a good enough strategy. It's still a way to reach large numbers of people. But we're oriented a little differently in that because this is, it's, it's a little bit of a point of differentiation for us. Like we never wanted to follow in the footsteps of what already exists because we know the path to what already exists and where that leads you. You invest in infrastructure, you invest in beds, you invest in very expensive acquisitions. All those are embedded cost. And those costs have to be passed down to your customer eventually. And that will lead to all the complaints that come about healthcare being expensive. If we were to say that, see, healthcare costs can come down. The inefficiencies in a system can come down. The amount of waiting, you don't need to wait in a hospital. You don't need to clear any bills in a hospital. If we say that all those are inefficiencies that can be taken away, then it's not defined by beds. It's defined by processes, it's defined by manual systems, it's defined by paper printouts, it's defined by queues. And so you reframe the thing that you are building. And the thing that we are building becomes a system for being able to treat people and not just a mad acquisition of large numbers of beds throughout the country. What Narayana Health, Hrudalya um, originally, and of course Health now started out with and is known for fundamentally is surgeries, um, high quality, low cost surgeries. There have been attempts to disrupt that space as well, including by venture funded companies as well that are trying to aggregate surgeries um, because surgeries, again, like you know, like you said earlier, is a transactional thing. When someone wants a surgery, they have no affinity to a to a doctor or a clinic. It's like whoever provides me with what I consider an acceptable level of quality at the best possible price, I might get it from them, of course, right? How have you observed this disruption? And I think um, one of the examples, if I may use, is that Pristin Healthcare. I'm not asking you to comment on Pristin, but um, there, I mean, there, there are others as well who are trying to aggregate, bring people together, uh, and provide them with an experience where 
um, an organization will say, look, we are not a hospital, but we'll just bring the doctors and we'll provide the surgery and we'll give you an experience. How has the space of surgeries evolved in the last five to 10 years? And where do you see that going over the next couple of years or whatever, five, 10 years? Sure. Um, a while back, maybe one or two years ago, this was post pandemic. And during the pandemic, we were just hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant around infection control because, you know, people were sick, they were coming in and we just had an inordinate amount of focus looking at all the different sources of bacterial viral infection in our hospitals. We started noticing in the ICUs, there were patients that were getting infected with a certain kind of drug-resistant bacteria. And uh, we have a large infection control team. They, what they do is they start isolating. They start, you know, walling people off and they're trying to figure out, okay, what did I do for this group of people? What did I do for this other group of people? And we narrowed it down to the uh, IV and the potassium salts that we were giving to the patient. And then we thought maybe there's some contamination at our store level. And we, you know, just thoroughly disinfected, cleared out the stores. And we realized that, you know, this it's not coming from us. Then we bought new samples of the IV bag and then we tested it. And then we found that actually the so-called sterile liquid is contaminated at the source, which it, it seems just impossible for us to believe that something that is sold to us as a sterile product has a bacterial infection. Like we don't even hear about these things in doctors who are trained in the Western environments. Then we went all the way up to the manufacturer and then we spoke to them and we realized that their manufacturing processes were pretty shoddy because of the price controls that were put in. They were just not able to maintain the standards that we wanted. So we found some other manufacturer who was willing to, who was exporting, but was willing to, you know, sell these products to us, provided we guaranteed him a huge amount of volume, which we did. And we thought, you know, that's it. We've cracked the code for solving infection control in this country. And then we went to all the other hospital groups and, and we shared our findings with them. We said, look, this is the problem, but if you join with us, if we you know, go to these manufacturers, we can solve this. And we can uh, prepay for large amounts of volume and uh, you can cut down the infection in your hospitals. And no one was interested. Absolutely no one was interested because they don't think enough about their business to go to that level of granular detail. So, uh, to the question that you had asked earlier about, how is it that disruption, surgeries, yeah. venture funded startups trying to kind of, you know, change the way things are done? So, our operations are so focused on getting to the absolute last mile to go through every single point of the supply chain till we went all the way to the manufacturer's factory to figure out that this is where this contamination is coming from. We initially could not fathom the idea that you could be doing very relatively complex surgeries in rented premises without any sort of infection control standards put in without things that we take for granted, like sterile corridors, uh, air conditions with this thing called laminar flow, uh, HEPA filters that, you know, screen the, like we couldn't imagine that people would willingly, like, I would not send any of my family members to an unorganized hospital for getting a major surgery done. But a lot of people have written about that. And that's where 90% of the surgeries happen in this country. And the results are fine because these are relatively low acuity surgeries. The odds of infection are very small and you offer something at a price that most people can afford. So we went past that. We said, fine, you know what? You can dismiss it for the fact that there are no very high in infection standards, but that's, you know, first world snobbish thinking coming from a chain like us because, you know, we can't sit on our high horse and say that, you know, we have to be doing things at the absolute highest standard. But looking past that, the most important signal that startups in the surgery space gave us is that they tell us immediately that this is what customers prefer. They prefer an experience where everything is pre-planned, where it's prepaid, where it's one very transparent bill, where they quickly come in on the day of the surgery and they quickly leave on the day of the discharge, 
with no complication, with no hassle, everything on an app, everything cashless, everything coordinated online in a way that we were not doing. And so companies like this were absolutely kicking our backsides in the customer service part, while which customers value a lot more. And the things that no one can really perceive, which is ICU infection, which we inordinately it's, it's focus what, on. Maybe it's what you, so it's very interesting, right? You as a hospital group or as a doctor value things which you think are more important than what consumers value. So either you're not communicating the importance of these things to consumers enough or consumers really don't care. They're like, it's an operation, it's an operation. Predictability, um, you know, and like, you know, all of these other things are what they believe in. So it's very interesting, right? Just like yeah. same thing, but two different sets of uh, things that value to both sides. You can do both, right? And to come back to Apple, which you spoke about, there was this uh, story from the Steve Jobs biography where his father, who was an amateur carpenter, would polish the back of the drawer. And, you know, uh, Steve Jobs said, you know, why would you do that? No one can see it. And uh, his father said, look, I'll know it. Similarly, when the first iPhones I, came. I have a similar story to narrate. Less um, interesting than Steve Jobs is uh, when we set up our Christmas tree and I asked our 13-year-old son um, and my wife asked him to put up the, uh, you know, decorations. And he said, I'll put them right in, in, in the part which faces the door and nothing behind. I said, no, you got to put it all around. Well, that's the point, right? He's like, who's going to see it? So yep. we'll know. <laughs> yep. Sorry to interrupt you. With no, that. And, and similarly, you know, when the new iPhone came out and they wanted to test the tolerances and he, Steve Jobs just saying, make it thinner, make it thinner, make it thinner. And they said, this is as thin as we can go, Steve. And he dumped the iPhone in water and bubbles started coming out. And he said, look, there's a space. <laughs> Bring it down. So you can do both. You can have a fanatic level of attention to details that a customer will never perceive, but they will know. Because, so in the case of iPhones, they last much longer than the alternatives. Um, and you can also get this very friendly customer facing thing because it's it's honestly a lot harder for us to fix supply chain problems than it is to just put a much more responsive call center. It, it's a lot easier for us to do that. And so it gave us a customer signal that we were inordinately focused on things customers don't value. They do value the the infection control, they value the thing that we provide, but as large organizations, we burden our customers so much with our own bullshit, with the kind, number of forms that we have to make them fill, with the hassle, with the parking, with the huge crowds they have to face whenever they get to us. That's on us, that's on all large hospital groups like us to fix that, because the customer is giving us a signal that they would rather risk certain infection, going to someone smaller, and maybe not as adherent to infection control protocols, rather than deal with the nonsense of this huge waiting area, huge registration counters. How huge do you fix counters. that? Because it's true. There are things that, you know, I want to do small <clears throat> things, like, you know, get a test done, et cetera, and all that. And the reason I keep putting it off in my head is because I'm picturing, oh, I'm, I, I'm exactly all the things that you said, that I'm picturing the parking, then the entry, then like getting a token, then waiting, and then being told that the doctor is out for rounds or that emergency surgery came in, then spending a couple of hours. And I'm like, I keep putting it off saying, when do I have two, three hours to spare? When do I have two, three hours to spare? And it turns out not for months. Yep. How do you I, fix it? it, is, it so, oh. is it different spaces? No, I mean, it is all, how you fix it is first by understanding that it is fixable. It is fixed in McDonald's, where either you go stand in queue and give the manual order, or they have those massive touch screens and you order the thing before and then you pick it up. It is fixed in the Indian passport office, where you come in exactly 15 minutes before your appointment, you rush through counter one, counter two, counter three, counter four, payment out. That's a great example. It, and, it is, and I'm old enough to have seen the evolution of the Indian passport office from what it used to be earlier to the efficiency-driven organization it is now. And that's the thing that, you know, as leaders, we you know try and tell everyone that it's not impossible to take care of. If the even the Indian passport office has figured this out, there's no reason for us not to do it. And so, you know, I start by giving a set of very unreasonable targets. So last year we had a zero paper goal. So no more paper. Why paper? It's not because you just want to hit an ESG goal, which we sort of want to do also, but 
Paper represents everything that it is about data flowing and getting stuck. Paper is not intelligent. Paper takes time to print. I mean, apart from the fact that it cuts trees, paper is a dead end of information. It's where information goes to die. Now, I said every piece of information being conveyed has to be intelligent. And so it, that's much more difficult to articulate. So you put a broad goal and say no more paper. The next one, no more waiting areas, no more places for people to sit. When someone comes in and, you know, you know that the queue is going to be long. So people, the immediate response is, okay, let's make lounges. Let's make comfortable cushions. Let's build much more waiting areas. It doesn't solve the problem. No one wants to be in a hospital. No one wants to spend hours here. It doesn't matter how good and comfortable the couch is. It doesn't matter how good the coffee is, how ambient the temperature is. It only makes people more tense because they're wondering, there's so many people sitting in this lounge. What's my number? Is that person getting in ahead of me, etc.? <laughs> exactly. So take away the couches. Every quarter, there are going to be fewer couches in our hospital than there were the quarter before. It's musical chairs. <laughs> And so what that does, it then forces us to say, okay, fine, if there's less place to sit, I need to be much better about scheduling. If I've told you nine, but the technician shows up at 9.30, that's not acceptable. Or if I know that I'm going to have to deal with 20 people within this one hour span, then we need to have adequate resources to be able to deal with that. So putting the constraint on us, making people's lives hell initially, but in the long run, forcing us to be able to improve the services till we get to that point. So the going back to all the way back to the point about startups, they give us very important customer signals. And this is what customers prefer. And it's something that we can solve for. It's not impossible. It may not be the highest priority because obviously the highest priority is to make huge amounts of profits, to you know do a lot of acquisitions, to show up on you know newspapers as the number one uh, provider of this and that. Those things can still happen, but these things, the bathrooms will not clean themselves. The bill will not be generated by itself. Someone needs to actively push that and to make sure that these little things are taken care of, which will lead to all the other things that I mentioned. Thank you for listening to First Principles, the weekly leadership podcast from the Ken's Newsroom. We also have a weekly companion newsletter, also called First Principles. In it, I expand upon many of the themes you hear on the podcast, like mental models, learning, and self-reflection. But the First Principles newsletter goes much further. A vibrant and diverse community of readers and listeners send in recommendations each week for books, articles, music, and habits. And of course, evocative Silent Sunday photographs that they've taken all over the world. You can sign up for free at theken.com slash newsletters slash first hyphen principles. The link is also in our show notes for your convenience. Lastly, if you like First Principles, do consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love that. And if you leave us a comment with your feedback, we'd love you even more. This episode was hosted by me, Rohan Dharmakumar, and produced by my colleague, Anushka Mukherjee. The audio editing is by Rajiv CN, our resident audio engineer. See you next Thursday.